We are back for another episode of the Room for Nuance podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Thomas. Brother, will you open us in prayer? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us. We thank you for your kindness. Mm. I pray, God, that as we engage, uh, particularly this topic of creativity mm. uh, and beauty, that you would help us to uh, speak wisely, speak thoughtfully and carefully. Uh, and most importantly, that we would speak in a way that uh, maximizes your glory um, because you're worthy of it. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So brother, I was telling you last night that the idea behind the Room for Nuance podcast is, is that a lot of evangelicals are trying to have a lot of difficult, thorny conversations in a time crunch. Mm-hmm. And we just don't really think that that's healthy. <laughs> Having said that, my first question to you is a bit of a time crunch because, or it's on a time crunch, because yesterday I asked you to hear your testimony and bro, we just rolled around in it. I think we talked for two hours and just going back and forth, sharing our stories. Can you give our viewers like a five minute version of your testimony, how you came to know the Lord? Five minutes. Yeah. All right. I can try. All right. Let's do it. Uh, Luke, set the timer. <laughs> so I was not raised in a Christian home. In fact, I was raised in a pretty um, yeah, tumultuous environment. Um, I was, yeah, I had a father that was pretty abusive. Uh, when I was roughly eight years old, he was shot and killed. Um, so my mom then remarried someone else Mm. and he was kind of equally abusive. So all I've kind of known in my life as a child was abuse and abandonment. Um, and that kind of trickled into, um, why I, developed this love for hip hop. I think mm. in many ways, hip hop was a, an instrument or a, a, a means by which I was, um, yeah, fathered. So mm. I learned about um, authority, sex, politics, all from um, hip hop. And I just kind of lived in that space. Um, so my worldview was shaped mm. by this kind of father hip hop, if you will. Yeah. Um, and so, this, when I was 18 years old, having just had a horrible life, you know, searching for affirmation and acceptance and love and all of those things, which I found uh, a lot of affirmation through hip hop, yeah. which kind of created this kind of performance mentality. If I am good enough with my art and my mm. creativity, mm. then people will continue to accept me and yeah. praise me and affirm me. What a heavy burden. Yeah, it's horrible, horrible. Yeah. Uh, but when I was 18, my, my mom had a friend uh, who uh, my mom would talk to her about me and some of my challenges. I think my mom started to feel like, oh, my son is gone. <laughs> right? yeah. He's involved in so many crazy things. Um, and this woman, she was about 35 years old. Um, she strangely invited me on a picnic. Yeah. You know? And I thought, you know, okay, this here's this 35-year-old attractive woman that wants to take this 18-year-old on a picnic. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, let's, mm-hmm. let's. So we go on this picnic and literally in the course of two hours, she unfolds the beauty of the father's love for me. She unfolds the gospel. She talks to me about Jesus. And I was so wooed by this story of, of the God who created everything and everyone who loved me so deeply that he sent his son to die for me. Hmm. I was in before I completely understood all of the details concerning 
the gospel and Christianity. Yeah. Uh, so that became- Wait, this. hold on. I've, I've thought about this since you shared this yesterday. Have you seen her or talked to her since those yes. days? Yes. Yeah. And is she still following the Lord? Yes. Hey, yeah. Nice. Elaine is her name. Praise God for I'm Elaine. I'm eternally great. One of the most yeah. amazing things about- this whole exchange between Elaine and I is that you know most people tend to think, well, we have to be like <clears throat> culturally relevant, mm. culturally engaging. We have to know the context. This woman was like a, you know, upper class woman. A she thirty five year old yeah, white woman. She don't 30, know about yeah, yeah. nothing, but she cared so deeply mm. about the gospel and engaging people that she took me on a picnic, and that was the instrument that God used to unlock my heart. Wow. So it's like you know the. The, the Bible is clear. Go, 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 go. You, you don't know? have to have it figured yeah. out. Or just as go. you're going, yeah. Just where you are. Chicken salad, blanket. Yeah. Go. <laughs> so it's just fascinating how the Lord used that and just how he used uh, her to speak to all of the father wounds yeah. and to address all those issues. Like you don't have to perform anymore. You didn't even need a man to speak to those no, father wounds. No, Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. I just needed her to unveil the the perfect heavenly father. Yeah. You know, so it's yeah, fascinating. So, yeah. Uh, I hope you get to talk to her again and tell her again, thank you for yeah. doing that really weird, awesome thing that the Lord used. Amen. Speaking of hip hop and fatherhood, I kind of, so grew up without a father, found the same thing. Um, learned one thing about how to treat women from LL Cool J. Learned another thing, right? Different guys teaching me different thing. All uh, a catechesis in hell, yeah. right? Yeah. And then I found Christian hip hop at a point in my time when I had never been fathered in the faith, young baby Christian had never been discipled. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, And I was really discipled, uh, not optimally discipled, right? Mm -hmm. There was no embodied discipleship there, but at a distance, the Lord used an imperfect uh, means to accomplish discipleship through Christian hip hop. Did you have that experience at all? Or were you more on the yeah. discipling end of that? Yeah. I had quite the opposite experience. So when I became a Christian, I had no framework for Christian hip hop. Mm-hmm. So I was on the West Coast. And I think that movement that you're referring to was largely like birthed out of the East Coast, mm-hmm. right? Like Philly and things of that nature. Yeah. Uh, so my, uh, my understanding uh, of like Christian hip hop was very small, yeah. right? Yeah. I just knew that there were some Christians or professing Christians that um, did hip hop. And I knew some of those cats. What really caused for me to flourish was when I had some dudes that were coming to a few of my shows yeah, and they began to engage me and ask me questions about, okay, where did you get this content that you're rapping about? Um, on what basis do you make some of these theological claims it was really- And these are like some ex-gangster cholo yeah, guys. Yeah, ex-gangster dudes um, that really, um, you know, they, these guys were like ex-gangsters turned Calvinists and, yeah. you know, and, and really they, they, uh, they came to me at an, a really important time in my life right. where I had a lot of ideas that were not sorted out, um, had a whole lot of passion and zeal, yeah. but a whole lot of confusion, a lack of discipleship. Yeah. And so these men actually began to pour into me and disciple me. So it was more embodied. Yeah. And that actually pushed me a bit away from music. Mm-hmm. So I kind of walked away from music for a while and baked in discipleship yeah. before I got back into music. Yeah. So quite the opposite for me, but yeah. I could okay. see the benefit for other folks. So, but 
have you had people like d- during your time in beautiful eulogy come up to you and say, hey, signs and symbols that helped me figure this oh, thing yeah. out. You know, your album helped me see things that I wasn't hearing in my local church. No one's ever discipled me. And, and that album was really instrumental. Absolutely. And, and to which I'm so thankful that the Lord used it. Yeah. That was the whole aim of beautiful eulogy making music. We yeah. wanted to um, help. I mean, the, the whole aim of beautiful eulogy was to help men worship in a masculine way mm. and to also help people um, kind of grip, grapple with theology and love for the Lord. And we, we wanted to put the uh, high view of the church on display in a way that was both beautiful and compelling. Uh, so, so that was what we wanted to do. And by the grace of God, I think he's accomplished that in, in a small sense because there's been yeah. folks have come and said, man, this really, really helped me. This helped shape my theology. Mm-hmm. This changed my view of the church. This pulled me out of, you know, hyper, you know, whatever. Yeah. 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 So why, why worship in a masculine way? Was that a, an, a, an epidemic uh, of weakness in the church, sort of hyper feminized worship? I think so. Okay. I think that's still the case today. I think I would agree. Um, and I always, because I, I felt hip hop provided for me a way to feel comfortable in my masculinity. When I started kind of floating around evangelical churches, I started feeling comfortable with some of the songs, mm-hmm. right? Like sloppy wet kiss. Yeah. Like I can understand why they would say those things. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not even saying that their hearts were in the, you know, the wrong place. Yeah. But for me, it was uncomfortable. And I, I, I would, I would always feel like, man, why can't we sing songs that are just kind of like masculine? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm a man. I, I don't want to talk about <laughs> songs that like super heavy on, you know, being in the arms of or the lap of Jesus. Um, and so I, I feel like, at least for me, um, I think I wanted to create a context where it was hip hop masculine, but it was soft enough to where it would welcome people in. Mm. I didn't want to be so hard that women couldn't engage with the content, yeah. but I didn't want to overly like water it down. Yeah. Right. And that is often, that's a phenomenon wherein guys recognize sometimes an overly feminine aspect of American evangelical Christianity. And in their attempt to correct that, they hyper-masculinize mm-hmm. it to, to the extent where it's, it's not biblical. What they yeah. view as being a biblical man is not something found in the pages right. of scripture. Right. You know, God himself is described as a warrior who will be covered in the blood of his enemies. Mm-hmm. And he's also described as being a mother who gathers his hens. You Amen. Know? Amen. Now that's metaphorical. I'm not saying yeah. God is female, right? Yeah, yeah, like, I got you. Um, but we do get that full spectrum. That's right. Yeah. And you see that in the Imago Dei, we're created in his image as men, and women. Yeah, amen. And so if we ever begin to shift too much in one direction or another, uh, everyone's going to be missing out. Yeah. 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 Uh, real quick, let's have a tattoo conversation. Uh, uh, I love the Augustine quotes on your yeah. arms. Can you show the camera? Is that possible? Like right here? Yeah. And tell us about it. Yeah. Lord grant what thou commandest and command what thou wilt. Yeah, I like that you kept the whilst yeah, 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 <laughs> command is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what's up with that? I just I'm I'm a huge fan of Augustine, and I yeah, so this, is all of Western civilization, <laughs> indeed. But I think uh, Augustine had just a a, a wonderful way of um, capturing both rich, deep theology, 
but he was also very experiential in mm -hmm. the way that he communicated. Mm -hmm. When you read the confessions and you just see how God used um, experiences in, in his life to help bring him to a place where uh, he flourished as a Christian. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't just purely didactic, but it was also experience and yeah. just the way he communicates. I'm, I just love Augustine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. All right, do you have any bad or embarrassing tattoos? Nope. <laughs> you really don't? Nope. Okay, Wait, well, no, why? Because all of them mean something okay. for me at a very particular time. Okay. And yeah, they kind of serve as mile markers of the Lord's infinite kindness hey, to me. Okay. <laughs> so. Well, I have bad, <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> tattoos, but we'll save that for another time. They also serve as mile markers. Yeah. This and, here, this here, this is the first keyboard I ever made a beat on. Hey. The ASR10. Yeah. The best keyboard the world has ever known. Sadly, no one uses it anymore. Really? Well, yeah. it couldn't have been that good. That's a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> That's it's a lie great. from Satan. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the way that the Lord uh, used your experience in hip hop and just your creativity and your entrepreneurial spirit and vigor uh, for the sake of his name. So you went through a, a, a kind of an up-down, up-down relationship with art uh, in the church, art for the church, but that eventually led to you forming Humble Beast, which mm -hmm. I was asking to hear the origin story of Humble Beast from you yesterday. And I think the way that I summarized it to you was, oh, Humble Beast is just kind of like the LLC through which you can use any creative impulse you have to do ministry. Mm -hmm. well, was that accurate? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, the way that I try to describe it is that Humble Beast is intentionally nebulous. Whoa. Okay. People try to pin it down. And I think that, uh, that the nature of it being so nebulous provides me an opportunity to explore whatever I want. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So whatever creative impulse I'm feeling, do it. So we want to make videos, fresh. We want to write a book, fresh. Yeah. We want to make a record, fresh. Uh, conferences. Conference, fresh. Yeah. Build a house, not yet, but fresh. Order groceries from HelloFresh. You know what I'm saying? Fresh. It just gives, I, I'm, I like the freedom of not being pigeonholed into one category like okay we we only make records yeah i think that's so limiting and i don't yeah. like that yeah so have you ever run into any uh, if i ask if i ask it that way the answer has to be yes have you ever run into any conflict or difficulties with your philosophy of being nebulous i guess have you acutely felt that like ooh maybe we should have tightened things up or has it always been pretty smooth um i think there, there has been some people that was, what are you doing? What are, what are you? Mm -hmm. um, that's far and few between people that are confused about it. I think people who engage with it, I think they're carried along and they realize, oh, okay. These guys are just like a creative collective. They're just doing yeah. all kinds of creative things. Yeah. A creative think tank, if you yeah. will. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it, it, the benefits far outweigh the, you know, the confusion. What would you say, and maybe you can't quantify this, what would you say is the endeavor that you've seen the most clear and obvious from your limited human perspective, maybe in eternity it'll be different, clear and obvious gospel fruit? Yeah, I, I think that the, the kind of unembodied discipleship that comes from the music mm. would be probably the, the best um, gospel fruit. Yeah. I mean, we we in most of the content that we've produced, there was a heavy emphasis on 
doctrine, Christian worldview, you know, um, helping people to live out their Christian life. In a sense, the music has been one of the greatest ways to catechize people, right? Because they're just listening to, yeah. to truth over yeah. and over and over again. And I think that it's hard to quantify, right? but yeah. I, I do know that I have benefited even from some of the folks that I've partnered with in yeah. terms of their content. Yeah, uh, And then additionally, I think the conferences... Yeah, the Canvas uh, conference. Canvas conference. Which is it coming back? Uh, Lord willing. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 hard to know, given where I am right now with pastoral ministry and things yeah, like that. Yeah. But I would love to do it again. Okay. Uh, COVID kind of shut it down when we were just building it back up. Yeah. But I think that when you talk about a, a creative think tank, the Canvas conference was really helpful in bringing all kinds of different creatives from all across the world into this one place where. They could learn and express ideas and network with each other. And yeah. we can find very specific people to address very unique challenges that the creative person wrestles with yeah. in a matter of three days. I think that's crazy fruitful. Let me put my hyper like Bob Jones, 1970s fundamentalist hat on, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm nervous that you're getting a bunch of Christian artists together to have a conference about art is, is, is there going to be like a golden calf and, and, you know, on day two, you know, uh, how do you think about orthodoxy and arts, especially when you're kind of gathered around art, how yeah. do you sort of put boundaries in place? Not we'll get to for artists in the church and stuff like that, yeah, yeah. but for something like a conference, right? How do you make sure that this just doesn't turn into a big, uh, arts idolatry festival? Yeah. Well, I think we, we, we communicate on the front end that this is a conference at the intersection of creativity and theology. So you believe in intersectionality? <laughs> yes. I believe Clip in it. intersections. <laughs> <laughs> but we we're very clear on the front end that we, our aim is not just to sit around and talk about creativity, mm -hmm. but we want to inform you theologically about your creativity uh, so there's a bunch of creatives that are coming that are eager to learn about how do I work this out yeah. theologically. Yeah. But additionally, a great portion of the people that come to the campus conference are theologians um, who are confused about creativity mm -hmm. or at least suspicious about it. Mm -hmm. And so they're coming to learn how do I take what God has given in terms of the creative work and implement that into my theology. Right, and so I think you're finding a a, a place where worlds are colliding, mm -hmm. um, and I think we try to present the content at the Canvas Conference in a way that is um, correcting, um, and um, so so not just propelling but correcting. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it's also from what I can I went I went online and watched uh, several videos. I've seen it before, but I went back to refresh. And uh, there's no bait and switch, mm -hmm. right? There's no like, yeah, come and talk about art. And while you're here, guess what? Here's some Jesus. Now you take that, you swallow that medicine, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, thank you. I'm glad there's no bait and yeah. switch. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, and, and that didn't hurt your influence or your reach at all. 
Not that I, not that I'm aware of. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's going to definitely, you know, with creative folks and like theological minded folks, mm-hmm. each camp has its own weakness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They each have their issues, and so uh, nuance is so important, right? Amen, brother. Yeah. So you're going to have some dudes that are going to come and they're going to look at all this and they're going to hear us talking about how to flourish as a freelance artist, Mm. right? Like how do you um, work onto the Lord while being commissioned by by non-Christian companies, Yeah. right? Like how do you do that? Yeah. That's a tension we want to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. Um, Some folks are going to be like, well, just don't do anything with Nike, you know? Yeah. And we would say, no, like- there's ways to do that. There's also ways in which you need to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm mm-hmm. not going to create content for, you know, this organization because this organization is their their worldview is diametrically opposed to mine and it would be harmful for me. Um, but some of these th- theology or non-nuanced people are gonna look at that and be like, Oh, see, see, you're compromising. Mm-hmm. And then some of the creatives are gonna be like, dude, you're too like rigid. Come on, man. Come on. You're making everything about theology and like God lording over my creativity. Are you for real? Like that's just too much. And so, you know, on both sides you're gonna have conflict. Yeah. Um, and I'm less concerned with these people who are like have made up their mind and are are not gonna revel in the space of nuance. I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned with those people who are like, how do I make this work? How do I make it make sense? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that's good, brother. Yeah. So let's, going back to Humble Beast proper, that's an interesting name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the heart of it is to point towards excellence and humility. Mm-hmm. There's a tension there. Yeah. But you think it's a tension that can be tamed? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I think, so, so the, the title, well, so, so one of the things that's really, really horrible about uh, Christian culture uh, well, or historically has been its artistic expression. Yeah. It's always been kind of, yeah, or uh, yeah, at best, yeah, at worst, like, why? Why did you do that? That's horrible. Mm. Um, and I think it's because the evangelical church historically has had a, well, let me scratch that. Not yeah. historically, okay. but um, since the 70s, okay. right? Um, and I think this kind of works in, in conjunction with the way the church has become, um, you know- Seeker sensitive. Yes, yeah, seeker yeah. sensitive. Like they try to be culturally relevant mm-hmm. or, you know, like we just want to build this massive thing where everybody is like, you know, so it looks and feels like, like the culture. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Um, so I think when they did that, Christianity lost its unique and distinct, um, holy, yeah, yeah, holy, sacred um, expression yeah. in, in the culture. Yeah, and so I think that's played out in our creative work. Okay, and so the the artistic expressions have been bogus, okay. to say the least. Yeah, um, and so I, I wanted to create a sense of, hey, we should be excellent. Mm-hmm. You know, if if we're excellent with our like theological precision, you know, we should be excellent with our creative expression. Yeah. And so, um, I, I wanted to put an emphasis on a, a theology of of excellence and beauty. Yeah. However, that excellence um, can often 
create a, a sense of pride and arrogance, mm-hmm. right? Where excellence becomes the penultimate expression. Like we just have to make the best that we can make. Mm-hmm. And almost like a, to prove that we're not like those sucky Christian artists yes. over there who can't make good art. Yeah. And so that's where I think the humility needs to come in into play where um, we're not losing our biblical mandate to walk humbly before our God. Um uh, so I think that there's this there's this tension that we need to sit in where it's excellent, but it's also humble. Um, additionally, the humility. Which, by the, sorry, real quick, it's not unique to art. No, that's a I I experienced that as a pastor. You know, we interviewed a lawyer last week. He experiences that. I need to be excellent and be humble. That's yeah. tough just for the fallen human condition. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, sin is a beast. It's hard, and I, I think, <laughs> and then I think humility is not just about curbing our pride from becoming overly focused on excellence, it also helps us in terms of our service mm-hmm. for, for uh, human flourishing. Like how are we serving the world so that they can flourish mm-hmm. um, and uh, hopefully experience, um, yeah, what it means to, to be a Christian, right? So I, I think those are the reasons why initially when I was thinking about um, holding those two things in tension, I think humble beast. And then just because hip hop at the time was, you know, to be a beast was to be excellent. Um, so that's yeah. how yeah. it all came about. Yeah. yeah. Freely received, freely given. Yeah. Uh, I think I've had you twice in the last 24 hours explain to people your philosophy of ministry when it comes to giving away records, because I mean, truly no one was doing this. It would, now we live in, in a day where all the music is free. You essentially rent music, right? You have a mm-hmm. subscription service, yeah. you pay $10 a month and you can listen to what you can download it on your phone, but it's still essentially renting. Cause if you ever cancel your subscription, you lose that music that you've downloaded. Mm-hmm. But you guys, before that was really very common, were giving away all of your music. Uh, can you tell us the, not only the business heart behind that, but the theological and gospel reason behind yeah. that? Yeah. So the, there's a lot of reasons why in the beginning I decided to um, give the music away for free as a gift. Uh, one of those reasons was I, I just could, in good conscience couldn't imagine spending all of this energy and all of this effort in creating these gospel truths with the intention of reaching the culture and then charging them for the, the, the content. I, I didn't want any impediment to the, the gospel content that was behind the music. So that was one of the, the reasons. Let's just remove any variables. So you got no money, great. Yeah. We, didn't, we're not, we don't care. Right. We wanna give it away Get freely. This gospel. I, I think it also um, is an expression of the gospel. We have received freely. We didn't pay for uh, salvation. We didn't do anything to earn it. God freely bestowed his grace and mercy and love on us. And so this was merely a way to model to a world who needs to know that, uh, yeah, radical generosity. So that, that was another reason. Another reason, which has less to do with the, the, the people receiving it freely, but more to do with the artist. The artist has a way or, or had a way 
in, in the old world of, of music to, to kind of wrap around their, um, their identity was wrapped into how many records they sold. Mm-hmm. And so this created a context of like, man, am, am, am I not good if I only sell, you know, 5,000 records? Um, is that a reflection of my artistic expression or my efficacy or my fruitfulness? Or, um, and then there's this kind of comparison that exists. Well, well, my peers are, you know, charting here and, you know, like, and they're selling crazy records and I'm not selling anything remotely close to that. This was a way for me to protect the artists that I was aiming to disciple and saying, hey, um, your value, your dignity, and your worth is not connected to your record sales. Yeah. So we're just going to take that away. We're going to give it away, right? Yeah. Um, and then thirdly, or f- fourthly, and, and this was, I always like to communicate this because this was a bit of a byproduct that we didn't intend would happen. Um, but when we started giving away the records for free on our website, I realized right away, if we just give away records, people are going to think it's trash, mm-hmm. right? When you're driving down the street and you see, like a couch on the side of the road, like you, you're not going to pick that up. Mm. In your mind, you're, you think, well, that's, nobody wants it. Yeah. It has no value. Yeah. And so one of the things that I, I attempted to do to put value into those records that were free was we put them up on digital retailers as a way to communicate to our audience, this is, this is a gift that has value. Mm-hmm. And if you come to our website, you can have it for free. It's mm-hmm. our gift to you. Um, but just so you know, there's value. You could look at the digital retailers and see, oh, this is this costs just as much as all these other records. Right. What what we began to see is as we pushed radical generosity um, to the to our to our people, they were taking in the content. And they were going and they were buying those records on iTunes as yeah. a way to say, thank you for the gift. We see it as value and we want to help you in some small way to have sustainability so that you can continue to give away for free. Yeah. So it's just really interesting that when we aimed to give it away for free, God used people to pay for it, to continue to propel more and more ministry. Yeah. So this is really like, reciprocal generosity. It was something I didn't think would happen. Yeah. It's just crazy. But I mean, the the general Christian principle is if you, you're, you're never really going to overdo it with generosity. You can be unwise with generosity yeah. for sure. But within the parameters of biblical wisdom, you're just probably not going to overdo it on, yeah. on giving the gospel away in whatever form you can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about humble beast and some of the ups and downs with artists. And, and you feel free to just say, hey, probably can't or shouldn't speak to that. But every Christian hip-hop label has had their fair share of, we signed this guy, he seemed solid, and then things went left. From cross-movement to reach records to lamp mode, you guys experienced that at Humble Beast. How do you how do you navigate that? I mean, how do you navigate that as a label? How do you navigate that personally as a Christian? I mean, you look back on you know guys like Jay Givens and other things that have happened. Uh, I mean, do you? Yeah, I guess. Do you feel a sense of responsibility for that? Yeah. How do you yeah. deal with it? Yeah. 
Yeah, I do feel a sense of responsibility. So I'll start there. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll be the, I'll, I'll, I'll say a big area in which I feel um, I failed, mm-hmm. right? Or t- two, two areas. I think there was a season where um, both Brian and I, we kind of, we just, we Braille. ran Braille, we yeah. ran the label, um, where we, we were so excited about what we were creating. Mm. Um, that I think for a season, we put a lot more weight on the excellence than on the humility mm. side. And what I mean by that is that we got caught up in the creating of artifacts that we we were focusing less and less on the character of the individuals creating the artifacts. Mm. Um. And not intentionally. No, 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 yeah. no. I, I think it's just part of like, yeah. you know, being a, being in the middle of making all this stuff. You get carried away. Yeah. Because if someone would have asked you, you would have said, absolutely, we care about the character and godliness yeah. of our artists. Yeah, and we did care. We, yeah. We, we did care. Um, But I, I think that was a, a problem that I should have been more uh, focused on. Mm. And I just, and to truth be told, where we're small, we were we were a small label, yeah, yeah. and we're doing everything. Yeah. So in in many ways, you don't you didn't have time to slow down and and figure things out. Yeah. Another area in which I take responsibility for was, um, you know, when when I first started Humble Beast, it was equal parts um, discipling some folks and using it as a way to pull in creatives and say, hey, let's work on music, and then yeah, um, we can build on. Uh, what it means to be a Christian, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, what it means to be an artist who is a Christian. and Which is not uncommon. You would have no. seen that role modeled in other record labels. Right, yeah. right. Uh, so when it started, it was equal parts discipleship and then equal parts just like homies, like, yo, let's just make beautiful things, mm-hmm. right? And I think in the process of it, I grew as a Christian mm-hmm. and I started to see more and more need uh, for clearly defined expectations Mm -hmm. and clearly defined character qualities because I was amplifying or platforming particular people that maybe didn't share my same convictions. Yeah. You know? And in many ways, the problem was I started platforming people before they were ready to be platformed. Yeah, which is all too common. Yeah. And and there is a very particular poison that exists in the world of art and creativity and celebrity. It is intoxicating and it has a way of remapping a, a creative's mind and orientation. Mm-hmm. It's very dangerous, mm-hmm. very dangerous. Can you, can you speak to that for a minute? Yeah, I, I think, um, I think as humans, we were never made to receive the kind of praise that creatives receive. Yeah. 
or celebrities receive. Yeah, certain kinds of creatives yeah. enter into a sort of, for their career to advance, they need a certain amount of celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what happens is it's, it's, it, they don't know it's happening to them. Mm-hmm. But what ends up happening is it's rewiring their brain. Yesterday you said kind of like pornography. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the only equivalent I have for helping people to understand. So God gives um, humans this wonderful gift of sex. And when it's explored in the context of his wonderful and beautiful design, um, it's healthy mm. and it causes us to flourish. Yeah. But the moment we step out of those bounds and we start exploring like pornography, it has a way of remapping the mind mm-hmm. and it, to- it, it, it hurts. It's a poison mm-hmm. that kills what was once beautiful, yeah. right? And in the same way, creativity does that, particularly as we amplify and we market and we, perf- and we promote and we platform. Unbeknownst to them, it takes what was beautiful about the creative process and creating artifacts and, and finding flourishing and, and satisfaction in the art itself it makes a monster that see, that tends to, and I'm not saying this is a universal right, every artist, yeah. but for yeah. some, it begins to see their, um, their consumers or their fans, not as people who appreciate their art, but as people to be exploited. Mm-hmm. They, they see them as a way to um, feed their addiction of affirmation. Mm. Um, and and their glory, their hunger. glory, yeah. It, it, so so essentially, they become glory thieves, mm-hmm. and I think that's the problem with many of these artists that 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 they don't know how to reconcile that, mm-hmm. and it slowly causes them to crash. Yeah, it's killing them. It's eroding them on the inside, and they don't know it because it's been a rewiring of their brain. Mm-hmm. And not only and is it harmful for them, but 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 also their consumers are culpable. Yeah, they're culpable. They're they're contributing to the celebrity yeah. culture. So so not only are they getting rewired and they're you know s- stealing God's glory, many of them doing it unintentionally. Um, but the 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 fans and the consumers that continue to propel all that glory, they're the ones throwing the glory at them. Mm-hmm. It's just it creates for disaster, mm. right? So I, I think that's part of I own some of that yeah, because I was platforming people and I was unknowingly contributing to uh, the remapping, the rewiring. Yeah. So yeah, I own that. Is it possible? First of all, thank you for being so transparent and so humble. And I know you can't agree to that second part because it'll strip you of your humility, but seriously. um, But do you think that there is a way to do this well with well, I mean, is it possible to have uh, creativity in the context of celebrity culture and to do it well such that those risks are are diminished? They're so diminished that you're not like constantly worried that people are going to spin off and go crazy. Like if you could start today with this theology and this experience and this wisdom, preset do you think you could do humble beast 2.0 not that you would right now but that you could and you could do it in a much healthier way or do you think the dangers are just too too inherent from my limited vantage point yeah um and thinking about 
what the possibility or the danger, I would say no. The risk reward The risk is too great. Yeah. The risk is too great. Um, Because I think, I I don't know. I, I think the problem is not so much with the creative. Right. The problem is with our culture and the way that social media and technology um, also contribute to the amplification. And until we can figure out how to, how to help artists have a stronger identity in Jesus, yes. there's, there's just, there is in my mind, little hope yeah. for some kind of damage to them. So just think about, um, you think about almost every artist, Christian artist that you know, mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, I, I want to be super sensitive talking about this because yeah. I, and I don't want to, I don't want to say all, yeah, but a lot, right? Most of these artists set out with the greatest of intentions. Mm. I just want to please God. Mm-hmm. I just want to serve God with my creativity. Um, I just want to do, I just want to creatively do like work that is God honoring. Mm. And to all those things, I would say, amen, amen. I think what happens is that the shift from just that kind of desire to doing it vocationally is where the poison begins to set in. Okay. Right? Because money muddies the waters. Absolutely. And it, it, it becomes what they do creatively now becomes um, instrumental in their livelihood and sustainability. Mm-hmm. And so they have to make decisions that I think are not the best decisions for the sake of long-term sustainability. Conflicted motivations. Right. I mean, just take it back to Jesus saying, you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And the artist who sets out to serve God with all of his art, all of his heart, soul, mind, strength, and his art, uh, now starts feeling that pinch. Yeah. So the very people that they set out to um, encourage with their art, right, right, the the, the people of God or right. whatever, or maybe it's even uh, I'm on mission with my art. I'm mm-hmm. it's more yeah. evangelistic with right. my approach or whatever. Those very people that they set out to be an encouragement to, they quickly become, um, cons- like those yeah. are the consumers. Yeah. Those people are they need to consume my art mm-hmm. for me to continue to do this as a career. And then that becomes really interesting thing. Like they, they are no longer like, um, like people that I aim to encourage, but they are fans that need to pay me to continue to do my art for them. Now, this isn't. I'm not saying that that's always wrong. Yeah. But particularly with artists, it's really challenging. So they have to learn how to maximize sustainability, and, and that. That means, well, I got to market myself more. Yeah. And I got to become more universal. And I got to, I got to grow my audience to, to uh, an audience that's sizable enough for me to sustain myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I think 
is part of the problem. Yeah. Like they're, they're Christian, the Christians become consumers. Then it gets really, really strange when they have to tour full time mm-hmm. and that, that takes them out of the local church, right? So they're, they lose a sense of that kind of tetheredness to the church, mm-hmm. which is fundamentally necessary for them to flourish as a Christian, mm-hmm. right? That is the, the means by which God matures Christians is the local church, right? Um, But when you remove yourself from it, because you have to gig like to sustain yourself, that creates all kinds of problems. Furthermore, they lose a sense of being a normal Christian. Yeah. The local church provides that like, dude, you're just Sean. Yeah. I'm just Thomas. Yeah. And when I'm in my local church, you got to set up chairs, right? Hey, we're doing like a a welcome lunch. You're going to be responsible for making the sandwiches, right? All that gets taken away when that individual becomes like the greatest expression Mm -hmm. and the most important part of the Christian culture, yeah, right? Like he's the artist. He's way too important to make sandwiches. Oh, or even just consider uh, the contrast, right? You, you're on the road, you're the guy. They paid money to bring you here. They've organized everything around you. You show up, they go, hey, can we get you anything? Do you want a sandwich or yeah. anything, <laughs> right? In the church, it's, hey, we need, hey man, I don't, I don't care about, I need you to make some sandwiches. Yes, yeah. Here, can we get you a sandwich? Right. And and yet last night you even said that that can work its way into the artist's home life. Oh, for sure. His wife now is not his partner, his helpmate. She's just another one of the, hey, why aren't you treating me like they're treating me? Yeah, if your world is completely immersed, not in serving others, mm-hmm. but being served. Yeah or being prized yeah. or being exalted. Again, it's that, it's that mapping in the mind, the, the, the wiring gets messed up. Yeah. And so now in your home life, like if you just come off of a, you know, an, a, an 80, you know, an 80 city tour, yeah. where everybody's like, man, I name. love your music. <laughs> yeah. You're the greatest thing yeah. ever, dude. You've changed my life. Yeah. And then you come home and your wife is like, babe, I need you to take out the trash, right? You need to take out the trash and I need you to help me to do the laundry. Okay. Yeah. Cause that laundry has been backed up because you've been on the road. Yeah. Right. Now you're like, what? Like laundry, uh, laundry, <laughs> you know, like I've been in a green room the whole time. Yeah. Food is brought to me. Now they might not, they might not know what they're doing. Yeah. But you see how the, the, the mapping of the mind and the eroding of the, the exaltation and, and, everybody serving you and, and prizing you as like the greatest part of the body. Yeah. It's just bad for humans. And yeah, sorry. Yeah. I just want to just let Jesus speak to this, right? He who was the greatest of all said in, uh, in the gospel of Mark for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Anytime a Christian is not fundamentally oriented towards giving his life for the sake of others, he's going to be out of sync with the good design of Christ for the mm-hmm. Christian life. Yeah. And, and it's because of that reason, I don't know if there's a 2.0. Yeah. And, or I would at least say to creatives, let's think about this holistically. Yeah. I, I remember um, 
uh, a, a friend of mine, Todd Miles. Uh, he's a pastor in Portland. Yeah, wrote a uh, fantastic book on marijuana use that everyone should read. Yeah, um, I, I remember he 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 was teaching a class, and I heard this secondhand, but I, I thought it was brilliant. But he was teaching a class on young pastors, and he said, "Hey, let's start with the fantasy, mm. right? Uh, like um, like let's play that out, right? Yeah. So." where's the attraction? And then you play that fantasy. Now let's take it to like how it impacts your home. Let's talk about how it hurts your family, mm. your wife, how it breaks her heart. Let's talk about how it impacts your children, right? Let's talk about how it destroys your church, right? So he's taking the fantasy and he's playing it out to its furthest degree, mm. right? When you play that fantasy out to its furthest compound, you realize, oh, it's not worth it, right? Right. Yeah. I need to set up better boundaries, Yeah. right? And the same thing exists for creatives. Like, okay, let's play out success for you. What yeah. does success look mm. like, right? Yeah. Um, being away from your home right. all the time, Half living in hotels. Yeah. Like, like infidelity is rampant in in artists in in success, right? Yeah. It's very rare that that a, a person can maintain a, a good, healthy marriage. Yeah. Uh, I mean, who can maintain a healthy marriage when the person is gone all the time? Yeah. Right, it's it's challenging. Dude, marriage is hard enough as it is. Yeah, don't go making it ten times harder. Yeah, or even like uh, establishing a career where everybody's praising you. That's awkward, mm. right? Like when you play it out to its furthest compound, there's far more dangers yeah. than there are rewards or benefits. So I'm not saying don't do it. Yeah, I'm just saying count the cost. And then if you are going to pursue it you better think wisely about boundaries yeah. and accountability um, or, or long-term sustainability. Yeah. Because if you don't do that and you approach it kind of like impulsively, like you do all your other creative works, you're setting yourself up for disaster, yeah. spiritually speaking. Speaking so. of that disaster, um, on a walk in the woods yesterday, you and I just sort of walked through guys that we've known over the years. And I mean, dudes that were making rocks, just from our context, Christian rap, amazing, like gospel-saturated discipleship content in, in rap form. And we were just walking through, oh, he's walked away from the Lord. He's walked away from the Lord. He's walked away from the Lord. She's walked away from the Lord. He's a practicing homosexual, you know? I mean, just, we just go on uh, adultery, abuse, uh, drug addiction, so on and so forth. Um, I think that's the fruit of what you're talking. I mean, if, if anybody were to sort of be like, oh man, he, he's just bitter. You know, he, he just, he's just down on us because he's a pastor and he's not doing this anymore. So now he feels like, just look at the fruit. Mm -hmm. Jesus taught us to think like this. If, you, if you're wondering what's going on with the root, just look at the fruit and it'll be pretty clear. Mm -hmm. And I think the track record of artists who are dead by the wayside in their faith is evidence enough that uh, your word should be taken very seriously. Amen. Well, I, 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 I can understand. And this is why I'm like, even there's some trepidation in saying what mm -hmm. I just said. Yeah. Because I know people are going to be like, oh, that's bogus. He just is bitter. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or he's yeah. just like, like a, you know, a fun crusher or whatever yeah. you want to call it. I say those things because I love you. I love them. Yeah. I love them. I love creatives. Yeah. And you didn't step away because of moral failure or because you were pressed out of the ministry? No. Yeah. So there's there's no sort of incentive for you to be saying these things other than the fact that 
you've just been in the industry, you, you've seen it, and you love people, and you want them to be careful. Yeah, I care more. And this is this is one of the issues with with the the Christian community or, or fans, if yeah. you will. They don't care about the individual, right? They care about the brand or the artist, yeah, and like how I benefit from them. I care about them personally, yeah. And I'm like, bro, I, I don't care about your success right. in music. I care about your spiritual success. I care about your marriage success. I care about long-term fruitful ministry. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I say those things to them. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it grieves me to see the fallout of all of these like amazingly gifted people, people that I love very much. Yeah. Um, it grieves me. And I, I, f- I feel like if we would do a better job as a church, to not platform them so much and not mm-hmm. treat them as like these, as the, 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 the best part of the body. Yeah. Right. Cause that's what it is. Yeah. They're the best part of the body yeah. and pastors are culpable in that too. Yeah. I was, I was preaching to a group of pastors some years ago and I, I was preaching to them. Don't give these creatives your pulpit. <laughs> Just because he made a good song does not mean he should right. be preaching on Sunday It's not one to one. Yeah. And I think there's another sense in which, you know, when you talk about, it's not fair for creatives. We tend to look at creatives with the same qualifications of pastor Mm. and the same responsibility of pastor. And I think this is part of why some of these creatives became disenchanted, right? Okay. Because we looked at, like take some of these hip hop, like uh, Christian hip hop cats, right? Yeah. While I do think there is a sense in which there is a certain level of uh, responsibility because they're teaching, whether they admit it or not. Right. They're and, proclaiming. And it's very different than being a Christian architect. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. So while I do think that there is a certain level of, like they will be judged for what they say. Mm-hmm. Like and because will. they're teachers. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. What I, what I do think is unfair is for for the community or or for pastors or whoever to treat them as if they are equivalent to pastors. Mm -hmm. They don't have a flock. They don't have a local flock that they're responsible for, to care for, to lay their life down. They're just artists. Many of them have never even thought about uh, like the responsibility of, of what they have, let alone like the weight of feeling like, oh, I gotta be, like a kind of a pastor to Mm -hmm. people. I think that's unfair. Um, And I think that is one of the reasons why so many of them have like cracked under the pressure Mm -hmm. because a lot of pastors are like, rather you you have to be held up to a particular standard of, you know, of pastor when in fact, no, they they should just be held up to the standard of a a member of the congregation. Yeah, that's right. It would be very unloving for us to tell every member of our church that they have to be a shepherd. Yeah. And some, actually, some people do say that, you know. Yeah. Every every one of us is a shepherd. No. No. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, So I do think that's part of the, the challenge that they didn't anticipate, particularly in Christian hip hop, like I didn't anticipate that I'm gonna be this like uh, like held up as like the pastor of like all of Christendom right. with my music, yeah. you know? That's a weight that's far too heavy to bear. The Pope of CH. Yeah, Jesus yeah. is the chief shepherd, right? Yeah. Like we're, we're, that's just crazy. Yeah. 
But many of them like felt that pressure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why they became disenchanted with the church, right? Y'all put unrealistic expectations on me. Yeah. You know, so, so it's not just, I'm not just like knocking the artist, like you, you like messed everything up. Yeah. You know? I'm saying that the church is equally complicit. Yeah. In blame to go everywhere. Yeah. And so a better way to approach it is be like, yo, think about your boundaries. Um, uh, yeah, do a lot less. Don't platform yourself to that degree. And the church needs to be like, yo, these artists are not the greatest part of the body. Yeah. You know? That's right. So let's let's talk a little bit about discipling creatives. And before I ask you to kind of give me your spiel on that, let me tip my hand a little bit on that. Uh, we've moved in several of the same circles, never in the exact same circle, but kind of overlapping Venn diagram style. And I've I've noticed that that um, in the context where artists are rightly valued. There's also a sense in which they're almost treated like a distinct people group, mm-hmm. like a protected class, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, like there's something fundamentally different about discipling someone who is a creative for their living versus someone who's a lawyer for a living mm-hmm. or something else. Now, I understand that there are differences, but I'm using the modifier fundamentally mm-hmm. different, right? Uh, so what has been your experience of that? I'm sure you could share many of the ways in which you've seen churches fail to disciple creatives well, and you've probably seen churches where, I mean, you're in Portland, right? So where they've sort of idolized the artist, like we've talked about a little bit, but to the point where they've treated them like a special protected class. How, how do we walk the, the middle line between those two? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think the first question to ask is why? are they treated as like a protective class in the church? And I think it's because the church culture has used like nomenclature, like the artist is the cultural prophet. Okay. I'm coming back to that. Okay. Or you know, or you yeah. can just run with it no, right now. No, is well, the so, artist a cultural prophet? No. Okay. No. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I, I think that the church has done a poor job at attributing titles and um, position to the creative that is out of nowhere, right? It comes yeah. from nowhere. Yeah. And so it's just something that's said long enough and loud enough that people just feel like, well, they are the protected class because that's what the culture says they are. Yeah. And I actually think it's the most damaging thing to do to a creative, mm. right? Cause that just kind of perpetuates that problem that I was just talking about, you know, what they need, how, how they need to be treated in the church is not like the artist, but a human. That's where real discipleship happens. Yeah. So I would always encourage, so you've got creatives in the church. One of the things that the, the, the church does, not all, not all churches, but one of the things that many churches yeah. do is they say, Hey, you know, Michael, is really good at the guitar. He's like exceptionally gifted at the guitar. Um, let's put him on the worship team. You know, Lamont is super fresh with the drums. So let's put him like on the worship team. Let's, let's like push him to the forefront. This sister here, she's really good with spoken word. So let's integrate her into like the, the, the front and center part of our, 
like liturgy or whatever, yeah. you know? And so giftedness um, tends to propel people forward. Mm -hmm. And so I would say what these creative people need is not so much like the opportunities to um, serve with their greatest gifts okay. right away. Yeah. Which those may not even be their greatest gifts. Right. But we don't even know that. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. Right. We don't even know that. So instead you take Michael, who's really gifted at guitar and who gigs on the weekend, right? Who plays in a band and they like, they're playing all over your city and you know, he's doing it for money and people come to see him and celebrate him. And then you take that person who's like, a, a, you know, a young Christian and you put them on the stage you say, well, you're gifted at, at playing the guitar. Well, now you have created a context in which this dude convolutes performing for acceptance, Yeah. right? Like he, when he's gigging, people pay him for his performance and he's, his value is determined on how well he plays. Now you take him and you put him in the church and you're doing the same thing and it, it is, it's anti-gospel. Yeah. And you just perpetuate that. Yeah. So you're, you're actually, you're hurting him rather than helping him, right? So instead, what you should do with Michael is say, Michael, like we wanna love you as part of the body. We wanna treat you as a normal person, Yeah. right? Like you're not like Michael, the you know, famous guitar player that plays yeah. on, the, on the weekends or whatever. You're just Michael. Yeah. And part of that is like, we're gonna invite you over to our home and we're not even gonna talk about what you do on the weekends. Right. Yeah. One of the things that's so hard for me when I go to places and all they wanna do is talk about like, yeah. Beautiful eulogy yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, that's such a small piece of who I am. Right. And my identity is not wrapped up into that. Like, I, Dude, I was so convicted yesterday. We had spent 12 hours together and I, it hit me. I haven't even asked to see a picture of your family because <laughs> we've just been talking shop, yeah. you know? But your family is more of who you are than beautiful eulogy. Yes, yeah. And and I think as a visitor in your space and, you know, I I preached in your church and we're, I'm doing this podcast yeah. with you. Like that, that's natural. That's yeah, normal. It's gonna happen. Yeah. But in the context of my local church, uh, right? Yeah. Like my people, yeah. if I come over to your house and all you want to do is talk about beautiful eulogy, yeah. I'm like, no, no, you need to talk to me about like my sons, yeah. you know? And what are you reading my wife? Word? What do you read? What's your yeah. devotional life yeah. look like? How can we help you? Like that's it, it, so that presupposes that we have a local community right? Mm -hmm. A church that we're both committed to. And then if we are in that community together, we're, I'm humanizing you. Mm -hmm. I'm actually working against what the culture is doing to you through media, technology, and marketing. They're trying to turn you into a commodity. I'm trying yeah. to recognize the Imago Dei. Yes. Yeah. And, and if you ask an artist, honestly, that's what they want. Oh. I just want to be human. Yeah. Right? So much of my world is performing. Yeah. I want to come to a place where I'm known. Yeah. Because what's crazy is when they're gigging, they're not known. No. People know of them. Yeah. People know a particular um, part or facet of them, but they're not known intimately. No. And that's a really interesting, another way in which the praise that you receive on the road is so anti gospel. Because the praise that we give to God, for example, flows out of an ever-increasing knowledge of God, right? We worship him in spirit and in truth. The more we come to see God's nature and character through his works and his deeds and his word, the more we grow in our praise of him. But when a person sees you, they know 
a product that you've put out yeah. and they see a performance that you put on and they praise you for that, which is like this much of who you are. Yeah. And it's it's the most polished yeah. part. Of, it could be the most deceptive yeah. part of who you are. Yeah. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Speaking about the local church and normalizing and, and gifts like that. Uh, so you do membership interviews in your church as well as I do. And I'm sure that one of the things that happens very often is that people say, hey, how can I serve? And praise God for that, right? We don't want parasites. We want people to come in and to, to give and to serve. In our church, what I tell people is for the first six months, first of all, the way that you serve is your plug for church membership, <laughs> biblical church membership. The, you have a ministry. If you never sign up for an evangelism team or for gospel kids or for music stuff, you have a ministry. You are responsible for exercising the keys of the kingdom, which means you have to love people. You have to exhort them. You have to encourage them. You have to rebuke them. You have to weep with them. You have to pray with them. You have to do all these things. And that is your baseline, most foundational, most important ministry in the life of our church. And if you never do anything and somebody says, hey, are you part of a ministry? Your answer is yes. I'm a local church member and I'm a Christian. Amen. Right. But we also tell people who do have gifts. So for example, I was having a conversation with a brother who wants to join the church last week, and he is a classically trained pianist. He taught at the university level other people how to play piano. I would love for him to play the piano in our church. We get together and I just, I, I say, I want you to know that even if you do join, join our church for six months, uh, we're not even going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want that to be immediately who you are in our church. I want people to get to know you, to love Amen. you, vice versa, right? Yeah. And he may never end up. I mean, I think, Luke, at this point, we have several really good musicians in our church. And we'd never really talk to them about doing music. Not that we couldn't or that we wouldn't. Even so, Luke, off camera here, Luke the PA, um, one day, Luke the pastor, Lord willing, He's very talented musically, very, very talented. And he does our music now, but for the first six months of his internship, uh, I didn't ever have him touch an instrument. And I I don't think you ever, did you ever lead music for us while you were an intern? No, because I, I, for a guy who's been on American Idol and who's who's got this album with millions of views on Spotify and all this other stuff, go check out Luke and Jay on Spotify. I wanted him to know that in Sixth Avenue, he's Luke. Yeah, amen. Right? I want you to get grounded in the gospel and music will always be there. You know, if we need you, you'll be there. And, and we may need you. And actually now we do need him. But uh, for six months, we didn't touch that at all. Yeah. You know, and I think it was good for our church. I think it was good for Luke. Yeah. yeah. So good for Luke's soul. Yeah. yeah. Now in Portland, and Luke's giving us the thumbs up. Luke, you're going to be the Jamie of our show. Joe Rogan's Jamie. You're going to be uh, the Luke. There's going to be a whole cult following. Following. You're going to have like your own yeah. subreddit. <laughs> Who is Luke? Um, in Portland, it's a very artsy city, mm -hmm. right? It's very artistic. Um, and I'm guessing you have a lot of creatives in your church. Uh, do you ever feel like, hmm, I don't know how I want to ask this question. Do you, does it feel like there's like a, a mob of creatives? Like, well, you know, I want to use my, my art, my vision in the church. And you're like, we don't really need that right now, but thank you. And let me encourage you and equip you to go use that elsewhere. I don't know. How do you deal with having so many, such a high concentration of creatives in one place? Yeah. I got there. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> well, I think, in, well, in my church, I do something similar with, with members. They come in and they, they, you know, they tell us their list of gifts. And if, 
right away if they do um, work, creative work vocationally, um, I almost never put them on the worship team. Mm. Second of all, I, I've worked really hard at shaping culture in our church where um, the creative folks in our congregation, they're just not gunning for um, like, put me on, yeah. <laughs> right? They're put just not, the game, they're, yeah, they're just not doing that. Yeah. And I think it's part of the way in which our services are run. Um, it's just simplicity. We don't do like the concert lighting and it's just really white. Your meeting hall is very bright and well yeah. lit. Yeah. Yeah. So we just, we just don't have that kind of aesthetic or performance base uh, kind of structure for, for worship. You know, yeah. it's like when you're up there, the musicians really do fade in the background and the congregation is the main instrument. So, mm. and I think it's part of the reason why we have so many creatives. Oh. Because they come into that space and they don't feel like mm. this is just like the music venue that I was at last week. Right. 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 They step into it and they feel like this is a sacred and safe space. Yeah. Right. And they don't feel like you're going to immediately try to use them for this, that, or the yeah. third. Yeah, because our we're just not a cool church. Yeah, right. And if people do come to our church and they and they want that, like I want to go to that church because I know that guy is all about creativity. The moment they step in the church, they're like, "Oh, this is bogus." Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like a rickety old building. It, the beauty of the church, honestly, are are the people. Amen, bro. You know. Yeah. And so it just that's that's been enculturated in in that. So we just don't have that that yeah. issue. Now we do have very talented people and some of them serve on the worship team. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all of the people on our worship team are incredibly gifted, talented, yeah. but um, we just don't have an overwhelming amount of people that are like, yo, I want to do this. I mean, there are some Sundays where we have one of the ladies that like leads worship, kind of super hippie, barefoot. Yeah. Um, and one other girl. In our church, she would be church disciplined. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And one other girl like on a cajon. And it's so stripped down. Yeah. And in the congregation, there are many talented musicians. Yeah. And you know what? They're just worshiping. They don't yeah. care. You could have a massive ensemble up there if yeah. you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we do. Yeah. Most of the time we don't. Right. Um, and it's just, so it's it's enculturated. Yeah. And and I think I think that's healthy for those creative people. Yeah. Like I don't want them like if their if their life is given to gigging, I don't want them gigging on Sunday. That's right, brother. Right? Yeah. I want them serving in the nursery, hanging Amen. with children, you know, yes. or yeah. yeah, or or trying to find other gifts that they have right. that have failed to pop yet because people have only viewed them in one dimension. So that's a perfect segue into you walking away from music, not entirely, but basically to become a pastor because maybe up to that point, you would have been told that the greatest gift you have for the church is your artistic ability. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying what you do as a pastor is entirely disconnected from art, right? Mm -hmm. But you get what I'm saying, yeah, right? You're yeah. A rapper, whatever, you're beat making, all that stuff. And then you ended up becoming a pastor. We'll come back and talk about how that happened. But I mean, brother, as someone who sat under your preaching yesterday and as someone who's loved your music for years, um, not that they have to be in competition, but you are at least as gifted as a preacher as you are as a musician. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Bro. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't flatter you. And so 
being in that local church context where you were very much needed in a way that had nothing to do with your music, mm-hmm. that other gift, I would say the more important gift, mm-hmm. rose to the surface. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, my first year, two years as a pastor, I hated preaching. Mm. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Yeah. Very limiting. Yeah. And, at, at least, least at I first, thought, what I you thought think. it was, yeah. 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 Um, but I have, uh, my affections for preaching have radically changed. Mm. Um, and I actually love preaching, if not more than I, than I do music. Yeah. You know? And I think that's just, I would have never, I never wanted to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. I never imagined I'd be a preacher. I would oftentimes look at preachers and be like, man, this ain't, this ain't it. This ain't, <laughs> this ain't, it, ain't it. There's a, there's a much more emotional way to engage, you know, like all, I had all kinds of just horrible criticisms. Um, and, hey, and for some preachers, those criticisms might not have been that sure, far off. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. But I get but, what you're saying. Um, but. Uh, not me though. Yeah, no, definitely not. No. But I, I have, I have, I think I, by, by virtue of falling into what I, I would have never chosen this life yeah. of a pastor and a, yeah. and a preaching yeah. pastor. I would have never chosen it. Yeah. But because I fell into it, all these, I think, gifts began to pop in me, particularly softer shepherding gifts. Yeah. Like just long-term patience of yeah. caring for people um, and more affection in my preaching. Yeah. You know, so, but that would have never happened. Yeah. And did it grow you in your just personal sanctification as well? Absolutely. Yeah. When you're running a business versus shepherding a church. Yeah. I mean, think about this. This is like one of these um, unforeseen benefits of pastoral ministry that I, I, I just never knew until I started pastoring. I literally spend my days mining God's word Mm. to, 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 unveil it before God's people. Yeah. Like that does something that if it doesn't, if it doesn't you shouldn't be a pastor, right? Not. But I, I literally, the, my most enjoyable time of pastoral ministry is when I'm just, I'm searching and mining God's word. Yeah. Because I know this is going to benefit God's people and it's yeah. wrecking me. It's making me better. So a lot of sanctification, pain, God's word, and service yeah. has made me a better person than I was yeah. eight years ago, six years ago, whatever. Mark always says that, uh, that no doubt about it, pastoring has made him a better Christian. He would not be as good of a Christian if he wasn't a pastor. Uh, yeah, I, would, I, I think he's right on. I think an interesting contrast between running a record label and doing all the other stuff that you've done, which I don't, I don't know if all of our viewers understand just kind of how broad your capacities are, but we won't get into that for now. But essentially running a business, being an entrepreneur versus a, a church. In the life of the church, this is a, a an organization of voluntary members, right? It's not like the military. When I was in the army, your sergeant says, do something. You say, roger that, and you click your heels and you go, right? In the church, you say, you should do this, right? Mm-hmm. Are, are they going to do it? Are they not going to do it? 
there's certain means that God has appointed to give you greater hope for success in that. But by and large, what you're doing is you're you're taking God's word, you're giving it to God's people, and you're calling them to follow mm-hmm. Christ in obedience. Mm-hmm. And the way that you call them is so inextricably connected to holy and godly character that it's just a fundamentally different experience than like, let me examine the social media algorithm to see how I can get more listens or views on this YouTube video, right? I have to examine the human heart, the depths of look at my own character, weakness and flaws. And I have to work all that together because I need to love these sheep more and more, better and better versus I need to figure out this social media algorithm to get more viewers, Mm -hmm. right? Two Mm -hmm. fundamentally different experiences. And I think it's amazing, right? The church is a place like no other place in this world, mm. you know? And I, I think I've, even before I was like a staff pastor, full-time pastor or whatever, I always approached church. Well, not always. Maybe for the last 10 years of my life, I approached church as largely different than what I do, like for Humble Beast. Mm-hmm. I've always been careful and cautious to leave those unique skill sets, yeah. which I, I I think they are God-given, yeah. but those get checked at the door mm-hmm. because those skill sets are good for building business and building like success and building infrastructure. Yeah. In no way does that port to the church. The church is not a business. The church is not a business. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't, I can't leverage algorithms to unlock the human heart. Right. Right. That's something only God can do. Yeah. There's something very supernatural that yeah. happens in the context of, of church. The way that the, the people of God um, love each other and mm-hmm. experience unity, you can't, you can't produce that. Yeah. The Spirit produces that. You can produce a facsimile of that. For w- sure. When you bring business practices and you try to bring those algorithm manipulations yeah. into your evangelism, and you see that all too common. Yeah, but it doesn't really work. It doesn't, it's just a fact. It's superficial. It's yeah. fool's gold. Yeah. And you usually end up seeing that thing well, self-destruct. COVID and the, you know, the political yeah. climate, the racial climate has definitely exposed, exposed that. Yeah. You know, if, if, if your congregation has survived in any capacity, it's because there was some deep roots and the spirit was working to yeah. preserve the unity yeah. that he purchased with his own blood. A local church pastor here, Paul Lamy, uh, during COVID, he told his congregation, he said, we're going to find out if we, ha- if we are who we think we are. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Be- before we move on from Humble Beast and Beautiful Eulogy, uh, I wanted to tell you as I was reading your book, Images and Idols by Thomas Terry and J. Ryan Lister. Thomas J. Terry. That's mm-hmm. fancy. Um. You talk about art. You say in the right hands that art can re-enchant the world. And that just immediately resonated with me. And I just wanted to encourage you, brother, and tell you that that sentiment, when, when I read it, I said, that's exactly how I feel when I listen to a beautiful eulogy album. Oh, amen. Yeah, man. Praise God. So uh, let's just talk briefly about your transition into becoming a pastor. Can you tell us how that happened? Yeah. Um, So I, 
I was part of the original church plant that I'm in now, mm-hmm. Trinity Church of Portland. Um, and our former pastor, founding pastor, along with another cat. And I just served the church faithfully. I loved the preaching. I loved the structure of the church. I had served there for about five years when the elders um, approached me and asked me to think about pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. I had been doing some discipleship in the church and the I think the elders had seen some pastoral gifts and they wanted to kind of nurture that a bit. And I was totally in the midst of humble beast stuff. And so I started meeting with the pastors. Um, I became a lay pastor there uh, about a year after. Um, so very limited experience concerning pastoral ministry. Um, but everything I did learn from pastoral ministry, I learned from my church yeah. uh, and from the former pastor there. Uh, and then one Sunday after church, we received an email from um, a man who said that his wife was having an affair with our pastor. Hmm. Uh, and that was just kind of devastating. So here, this man that I love, that kind of mentored me in in ministry, in many ways was a father figure to me, uh, has just been exposed uh, as like an adulterer. So um, yeah, within a few minutes of receiving that email, I reached out to another one of the elders. And yeah, 45 minutes later, I picked him up and we were on our way to go confront our pastor. Mm -hmm. And when I approached the pastor, yeah, he, he, he admitted, he admitted it. And, um, in many ways he was trying to contain the damage. Um, he didn't want us to, you know, expose it or talk about it with the congregation. And we just decided, nope, we're removing you from ministry and we're going to bring you before the congregation. Uh, so long story short, he was excommunicated essentially. And about, um, a week later, the other elders in the church approached me and asked me if I would consider putting Humble Beast on hold for a year and stepping in to help the church through this crisis. It's a big ask. Mm-hmm. But I love the church. I love the people. And um, we just finished writing this book. And um, I thought, you know, I had plans for how I would be engaging creatives and I, it was interesting that I had just begun talking to creatives about like love for the local church mm-hmm. and how that is the most important piece um, in your That's creative such a God life. Thing for him to do, I know <laughs> this was a great opportunity for me to put my money where my mouth was. Yeah. Um, and so I said yes. Um, you know, my wife and I decided we would give him a year, and really that. A year was aimed to kind of function as like triage and then maybe think about bringing in another, you know, pastor to Mm -hmm. to lead the church. And I think the reason why those elders asked me to do it was because I I had the, I think the most relational capital with the congregation Mm -hmm. because of humble beast and touring. um, It provided a unique 
opportunity for me to kind of radically be in life uh, in the life of the congregation. Mm-hmm. So I was just whenever I wasn't touring, I was serving. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it's basically like a staff without being a staff. You know? Yeah. And even the way that you toured was wise. You were never gone half the year. Right. right. Yeah. We t- we traveled very short amount of time, and then we would, so that we could be involved in the life of the church. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, one year uh, in, and it was really really hard. Yeah. really hard. Um, and and I can understand why people were hurting, people were suspicious. Um, I, it was so painful for me, <laughs> you know? I was like, this is, yeah, I'm out in a year. I gave you guys a year and in a year I'm out. Um, but year two rolled around and the elders asked me if I would continue. There was a lot of um, health happening in the life of the congregation. Uh, and I could see that there was some health happening, mm. but I still didn't feel like, man, this is not really my deal. I'm like an artist and I'm like, a, I run Humble Beast. And that's not really what, you know, that's not what I mapped out for my life. Yeah. But I think something really interesting happened to me um, in the, the second half of year two. And the Lord really began to kind of, break me um, and not only break me in terms of like what I thought were my plans, but um, enchant me to the work of pastoral ministry, mm-hmm. uh, like full-time ministry. Like he increased my affection for preaching, which I never was really like into preaching. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I don't have like any seminary background yeah. or anything like that all of my skill sets were in this category. Yeah. Um, but the Lord began to like pop some gifts that I just never knew existed and really find some correlation between these gifts and, yeah. and my ministry. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, man, it's, I'm now like going on almost six years and my affections for the church have only increased. It's been hard. It's been really hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love what I'm doing. And I'm so thankful for the Lord to, yeah, where he has me. Thought experiment. Uh, t- tomorrow, the perfect replacement pastor shows up. He has rapport with the congregation, godly, character qualified, gifted qualified, elders approve. You would feel in your heart as a shepherd happy to pass this congregation off to this brother so that you can go back to humble beast. Do you do it? Hmm. No. You just go plant another church. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think that um, my greatest contribution to the world is a local church. Mm. It's far more effective. It's far more fruitful than any record could be. Yeah. Um, Like I legit want to just die with saints in my church, you know? Our mutual friend, Shy, you know, he talks, he's getting a little older. People don't realize how old Shy is. (laughs) is He's so old. (laughs) How old is he? He's older than me. (laughs) Um, He he talks about being at halftime. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If the Lord gives him the grace to live, you know, another 
50 years, he's at halftime and he's thinking like that changes things, right? And he wants to do that, which will produce the most eternal fruit. Mm -hmm. And in his mind, he's assessed that one way. And in your mind, you've assessed that another way, right? Yeah. You're like, man, listen, this is where I want to put all my chips. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a gamble with a local church. No. In in fact, it's interesting, Shai's perspective, because it seems to me that we, yeah, we've just done this. And Isn't that this, weird? Yeah, it's crazy. But there's this unique intersection where Humble Beast is working with Shy, and right, he's right. doing lots of amazing things. And um, essentially, I'm kind of like passing the baton to yeah. Shy, and yeah, yeah. And my hands are still in it, and yeah. I still, I'm still able to do some creative work yeah. and find satisfaction yeah. in that. But um, when, and I don't think either one of those are more important. But me personally, yeah, I just feel, um. I feel like hyper local, yeah. In a local church is where I'd be most fruitful and yeah. most satisfied. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it interesting that I I came up with this thought experiment on the fly about you passing off the church to just the right guy, and with humble beasts, that's essentially what you're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do some rapid fire art and faith questions. Okay. Okay. As rapid as you can make it. All right. All right. You talk about in uh, in images and idols. You talk about all creative, all creativity being derivative. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I think every creative expression we borrow from God. So God is the only one who creates from nothing. Mm-hmm. Ex nihilo. He mm-hmm. he he speaks, and things come into existence. Creatives, they must borrow from what God grants us to create. So we will always be sub-creators, right? So you think about the the very strings we tighten and stretch for the guitar to play, the, the wood that is used to hold the strings in tension, Mm -hmm. the acoustics that come from, like all of that comes from God. Right. Without God granting us those resources, we could do nothing. Yeah. We could do nothing. The mind uh, that measures meter, the the vocal cords that declare his glory through Mm -hmm. song, that Mm -hmm. all comes from God. Right. And creatives have a way of thinking and believing that their creativity is indigenous to them. Yeah. And that's a very dangerous place to be. So I always want to put before creatives that everything you have, all creative ingenuity, first and foremost, is borrowed from God. Yeah, that's right. You say, uh, I don't have the page number here, but you say as creatives, we represent God. We do not uh, replace him in our creative endeavors. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that's because we're inextricably bound to Him, mm-hmm. right? So right. We, we we can't replace God. Yeah. We, we borrow the very breath for our creative work from Him. Yeah, and yeah. maybe the most ironic of offenses when artists use their art to rebel against the God yeah. who gave it to them for the praise of His name. Yeah. yeah. You also talk about our creative work having a double signature. Is that basically the same thing? Yeah. It's just a really good metaphor. Yeah, I just yeah, wanted yeah. to make sure it's I helpful, got it right? Yeah. So whenever an artist um, signs their work or stamps their work or copyrights their work, um, it would be copyright infringement if they failed 
to put the author of all things on their work. Amen. Yeah. And so how can artists do that? I mean, you make a painting, you know, you don't want to get the Calvary in every painting you do. So how do you, especially if your medium is not uh, like word-based, how do you make sure that you get that double signature? Yeah. Well, I think it first and foremost starts with our posture. So it's a bending of the heart. Uh, The heart must bend and yield and say, um, God is the author of all things. And I borrow from him in all this work. And the creativity that I have, God distributed it to me for whatever reason Mm -hmm. he decided to do that. I mean, we know his, the reason is for his glory. Mm -hmm. So I think it starts first with a bending of the heart. I don't think you have to explicitly, like the metaphor goes only so far. You don't have to sign his, you know, you have to put crosses (laughs) on artwork, you know. Jehovah Jireh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, copyright 2010, Thomas and Jesus. Yeah, right. But the, the idea is that you will be a better creative and a more faithful Christian when you recognize that your work is but a shadow of right. what God has you know, provided, the, yeah. the, the primary image of God in his yeah. work. That's really good, brother. Um, you say that God not only creates and displays with his art, but he also explains his art, right? So I was thinking about that in contrast to some of our favorite artists, uh, our, the collective hour. You think about someone like Kendrick, okay? He puts out an album and most of the activity around his album is in people trying to explain what they think it means. Same thing with controversial movies and TV shows. You know, we talk about the ending of Inception. You mm-hmm. know, what's happening with, is it, you know, yeah. is he in the dream state or is he in, uh, but God doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. There's a sense in which he creates, displays, and explains, and he explains through nature. Mm-hmm. The, the art explains itself sometimes, sometimes through special revelation. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that explanation is the capacity that he's given us to explore and understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'm the one who's answering the question now. You just but, did, yeah, amen. <laughs> anything else you want to say about that? Because it was really helpful for me to read through that in your book. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, um, why did God create us in the first place? Yeah. Right? To give back, to reverberate, to reflect his glory. However musical or artistic analogy you want to use. Yeah, right. It is to declare his glory and his goodness. And for God to just create and leave us on our own to figure things out, like what are we supposed to do? Um, would be totally disconnected from God's original purpose and design. Which is self-revelation. So he explains so that we can do what we were made to do, right? Mm-hmm. To give him his glory. Yeah. Other artists create for themselves. There is no need for them to explain, Yeah. right? They just have, because there's, there is no reverberating. There is no reflecting or giving back. It's just, this is my work. This is what I've done. Enjoy it. Yeah. That's not our God. Our God does create for us to enjoy. Yeah. But even our enjoyment is inextricably connected to his glory. That's right. We enjoy the more we come to understand yes. his glory, which I'm, I'm going to try not to preach a whole sermon here, <laughs> but the glories of heaven 
You're just going to be going deeper and deeper and Amen. deeper into your comprehensive knowledge of the glory of God, and therefore your joy will increase forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Hard Preach. to wrap your mind around. Preach. I, dude, I will. Don't tempt me. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I've loved about uh, being around you is you just talk about beauty a lot. Mm. And when I think about the Reformed guys in particular, of whom I am the foremost, uh, although my Presbyterian friends would disagree, <laughs> uh, I think truth and goodness, right? We're, we're good on that. We're, we're heavy on that. Beauty, not so much. Maybe not historically, right? Uh, but that can often be the case. It's, it's a generalization, but generalizations are generally true. <laughs> and I feel guilty of it. Being around you, I'm convicted. Oh, I have got to think more about beauty. I mean, even this book, I was, I mean, if anybody buys a copy and they should, uh, a copy of this book, they can feel the texture. They can see the, the really high quality design, even the weight of the book, the quality of the printing, the quality of the paper. You made a book that was beautiful. Did you catch the imagery on that, that cover? Like the Tower of Babel and the thumbprint, the DNA. I, I caught the Tower of Babel. I did not get the thumbprint. Yeah, yeah. Elaborate, elaborate. Yeah. It was just like, um, like our our identity is inextricably connected to idolatry. Our rebellion. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's really good, man. Um, it was not cheap, I'm guessing, to produce no, a book like this. No, which we had a lot of... Uh, ongoing conversations with Moody. <laughs> they were like, how much do you want to spend? Yeah, but it was kind of a deal beauty? breaker. It was a deal breaker. Yeah. We needed to be able to, we cannot create a book where we talk about beauty and theology yeah. and not showcase what we mean, Yeah, right? It's important. It's important yeah. to God. God, I mean, just think about this for a second. The primary way that God chooses to um, reveal himself or his original way is creativity. He reveals himself as a creative God and he right. speaks oceans and the earth into existence and skies, the parchment skies, all those things. Yeah. He, he, he reveals himself in a beautiful way. Yeah. But for some reason, reform folks, a lot of reform folks, yeah. they just, they, they, relegate it down to like a, an optional utility. Yeah. You, know? you even see that in a lot of, uh, a lot of preaching where it's like, I'm, I'm just here to give you the facts, right? Data points. But as we were discussing yesterday, that's just not the way human beings work, right? Most people don't reason through a series of logical propositions to arrive at a particular mm -hmm. moral, ethical, or spiritual conclusion. What they more or less do is intuit the, their way right. towards what they perceive to be truth. And a big part of what shapes our intuitions is, is our understanding and perception of beauty, yeah. right? And you've been talking a lot about uh, the need for our apologetic to re-enchant people with the beauty of Christianity. Mm -hmm. We need to be the anti-Disney. Yeah, You know, as you walk into the theme park, the second you come in, they're trying to enchant you. Same thing in the church, except for the enchanting that we're doing is different. Yeah, amen. I think that uh, C.S. Lewis is right when he kind of unpacks this truth, goodness, and beauty, you know, kind of mm -hmm. dynamic. And I think where we are as a culture, so, so C.S. Lewis's list, it's beauty's the last, mm -hmm. right? So truth, goodness, beauty. 
we have actually, as a culture, that that has been reversed, where beauty is the gateway to goodness and truth. Mm-hmm. And so I think that beauty can be a wonderful apologetic. It can be the wheelbarrow to, to bring truth to bear in the lives of people. And I think as I, in my limited understanding, as I survey culture, I think that humans are longing for something that is beyond this world, right? Something that is transcendent. Um, Every artist will tell you, and I say this often, every artist will tell you, I want to make art that is beyond this world. Mm -hmm. What they mean by that is our world creates art and artifacts that are flat Mm -hmm. and are bound by this earth. Yeah, It's earthy. Yeah. And what artists want to do is lift you up and outward mm-hmm. and beyond. And I think that um, that's what God has planted in us yeah. to look to him, the transcendent one, to yeah. look beyond yeah. the, the, the dirt and look into the heavens. And I think beauty is the easiest way to do that. Mm-hmm. It's pre-rational. So before mm-hmm. you start grappling with the concepts of truth, Transcendent beauty has a way of saying there is something that is beyond this world. Yeah. You look at the skies, you look at the mountains, you look at human, the, the biological makeup of humans. Like it, there's no doubt that there is a God who thinks about beauty mm. because it's the, the world is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Even though it's marred by sin, it's it is. still beautiful. It is. The beauty remains. Yeah. It's God's world. Yeah. And why would it not be beautiful? Because he's beautiful, you know? And so I think that we can look at beauty from a theological standpoint and say, eh, I take it or leave it. Yeah. I think that fails to see um, God for who he truly is. Yeah. And so we, we mind the depths of that, which is didactic, but we forego like, or forget that which is most compelling about God, mm-hmm. his beauty, you know? Yeah. So yeah. anyway. Two more things. Because uh, I know you would agree with them. Number one, if we ever start to focus on beauty to the neglect of the truth, we're just committing committing a, an opposite error. Indeed. And then secondly, there's a sense in which a right articulation and even embodiment of the truths of the gospel can make truth itself beautiful. Yeah. Right? So even there's a sense in which it, even if you're not focusing, if you're focusing on truth, you can do it in such a way that says, I want to not change the truth to try to make it look beautiful, but I want to present it to you in a beautiful way. Oh, amen. Well, which this is what this book is. We, we uh, as, a, as a preacher now, that, where I give a lot of my time to preaching, like God's word is true, mm-hmm. right? It's true. Every bit of it true. Mm-hmm. My job is to not change it to make it more beautiful. Right but to showcase what is already beautiful about it. Right. And I think when you look at the symmetry and the, the mystery and the wonder of God's word, it is, the, it is one of the greatest pieces of beauty that the world has to offer. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's all truth. That's right. It's all truth. Yeah. So I think we would, be, we would do well as preachers to uh, think about what is already in the truth of God's word that is exceedingly beautiful and showcase that to people. I think if we did that more, people would learn to hold in tandem. Yeah, rather than beauty intention. and truth. Yeah. Right, yeah. One more thing, because I think we're running out of time. You talk about on page 75 of your book as idolatry. I thought this was fascinating. 
idolatry as adding imagination to rebellion. Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> That's a whole long conversation. Okay. <laughs> hey, can you give me 30 seconds on yeah. idolatry? <laughs> yeah. Um, that requires a lot to unpack. So maybe we'll end with a different, like something a little bit more punchy. Oh, well, you know, we can just stop there. Uh, And hey, listen, if you want to know how idolatry is adding imagination to rebellion by images and idols, rapid fire questions. We do this every time. What are you reading right now? That's not scripture. uh, Crook in the lot. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite... uh, Favorite book outside of the Bible? Uh, oh, ooh, ooh, got him. Uh, favorite book, like nonfiction, because I don't, I don't really do. That's fine. Like yeah. fiction, but yeah. uh, man, you can go probably, top three. Um, probably knowing God. Ooh, the classic yeah. hacker. Yeah. I had someone text me last night. Valley of Vision. I take it back. Ooh. Take it back. Valley of Vision. Read it every day. Yeah. Okay. I take it back. No, that's good. Well, you can do both. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, favorite candy. You don't have a favorite candy. I had. Oh, well, yeah, I would say. Really um, no, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I got this. Okay. Um, favorite candy would be score bar. You're such a hipster, bro. You're you just judged You're me. You're such a. I, I'll do it again. <laughs> There's no condemnation in Christ, but in me, I'm <laughs> least favorite candy. Least favorite candy for me. It's like black licorice. So oh, that's what I'm. That it's that's a close one. Payday, paydays. That's like okay. All right. I hate them. People give them to me all the time. Favorite coffee, Kova. Kova coffee. Mm-hmm. And you say you don't have a least favorite coffee. You, you I, I can do any coffee. But I, I mean, I'll drink any coffee, but, yeah. the, but the best coffee is Kova coffee. Yeah. Brother, uh, this, is, this has been an amazing conversation. I wish we had more time, but we don't. You have to catch a flight. Yeah. Uh, thank you for serving our church with, your wor- with the preaching of the word yesterday. Thank you for serving our community by letting us pepper you with questions literally all day long. Thank you for serving my family by being such a good house guest. And thank you for serving our viewers by engaging in this conversation with humility, reverence, and uh, every other fruit of the spirit that I think we've seen on display. Let me pray for us and then we'll wrap it up. Father God, we always come before you before difficult conversations, uh, tricky conversations, and we ask for your grace. And Lord, I don't know that we've ever been let down. Um, Lord, our sincere desire is to talk about art and creativity and faith in such a way as to glorify your name maximally, to to strengthen the church, to disciple believers so that they will be built up into the fullness of the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that this conversation will produce an abundance of eternal fruit. Help us to have eyes of faith to see and believe that. Lord, bless Thomas as he goes back uh, into the various spheres where you've placed him. Uh, Keep his eyes focused on you. Help him to not get entangled in civilian affairs. Uh, Protect his life and doctrine and uh, give him every good gift that he needs to shepherd your people faithfully until you call him home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.